Thank you. Maybe seated. A younger sister was promised by her older brother that uh, she could climb a nearby hill with him to see where he spent uh, his time playing with his friends. And so the time came, they made their way to the bottom of the hill. And uh, as they got to the bottom of the hill, she noticed the rough, steep climb that she was going to have to make in order to get to the top. And she said to her brother, there's not a smooth path to the top. She says, it's all uh, rocks and stones and bumps all the way to the top. And her brother said, yes, you're right. He said, it's the rocks and stones and bumps that we step on to get to the top. And life can seem at times to be a rough, steep, uphill climb with plenty of bumps and difficulties and tests and trials along the way. God encourages us in his word to live life his way. God encourages us in his word to see life his way. And God wants us to see and understand that the bumps, the difficulties, the tests and the trials are the tools he uses in our lives to strengthen our faith in him. God has told us this throughout his word. James told us in James 1 and verse 2, consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. James encouraged us to see our trials through eyes of joy. Paul told us in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We can be joyful in our trials because God has promised us that he will work all things out for the good of those called according to his purpose, for the good of those who love him. Paul told us in Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who started the good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we can be joyful in our trials because God has promised us that he will carry on the work in us that he started with us at salvation. And when God is through with his work in us, he'll call us home to heaven to be with him for eternity. Though we have these promises from God and many others like them, seeing life God's way is still quite a challenge for us. Seeing life the way God wants us to see life, which allows us to to live the life that God wants us to live, is a challenge for us. And thankfully, God has filled his word with examples of godly men and women who joyfully navigated their trials. Men and women, we can learn from today as we continue in our journey with the Lord. Joseph is one of those examples. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 37. We are continuing in our sermon series titled Treasure Hunting. We are searching God's word for his priceless treasures of truth for us to apply in our lives and to share with those that God places around us. We're going to look at Joseph this morning because Joseph shared a priceless treasure of God's truth with us. And we're going to begin our hunt for this treasure in Genesis 37. It's going to take us through quite a bit of time as we finally arrive at the treasure that God wants for each of us this morning. As we begin in chapter 37, we'll make our way through on our hunt. And I'll be summarizing along the way what God is doing and what he wants us to understand so that we can apply in our lives and share with those around us uh, this day 
and this week. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 3. Now Israel, which is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than the other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all those brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. We see that Jacob or Israel had 12 sons. Joseph was the 11th son and the favorite son. Joseph was hated by his brothers because Joseph had given a bad report about his brothers to their father Jacob while his brothers were shepherding sheep. Joseph was hated by his brothers because he was the favorite son of their father and this was a secret to no one. Joseph wore the robe or the coat of many colors, which was a sign of favor on Joseph and future leadership for Joseph, which was usually reserved for the oldest son. Joseph was hated by his brothers because of the dreams Joseph had, which when interpreted meant he would rule over his brothers one day and all those in his family. Joseph's brothers hated him. They were jealous of him. And scripture tells us that they could not even speak peaceably to him without being hostile with him. We can rest assured that family meals were probably not much fun for Joseph and his brothers. And so we see uh, that Joseph was struggling in relationship with his brothers. Jacob, the dad, told Joseph one day, he said, hey, son, I want you to go. Uh, your brothers are out shepherding my flocks, and I want you to go to them, and I want you to check on them, and then I want you to bring me back a report about how they're doing. So Joseph left, went to find his brothers, and as his brothers saw him coming towards them from far off, they plotted to kill him. We pick back up in chapter 37, verse 19 and 20. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him, then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So they were uh, plotting some serious evil uh, against Joseph. We know the scriptures tell us that Reuben, the oldest brother, Jacob's oldest son, persuaded his brothers not to kill Joseph, but instead to throw him into a pit or a, a water well. Reuben was planning to rescue Joseph later and take him back to his father. However, we know that the brothers pulled him out of the pit and sold him to Midianite traders who were traveling to Egypt. These businessmen who were traveling to Egypt. We see in 37 in verse 28, when Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. The Midianites and Ishmaelites were interrelated nomadic people groups who were uh, used interchangeably oftentimes in the Old Testament. So the brothers sold Joseph uh, to the Midianite traders and they took him on down to Egypt. They got rid of Joseph. They took the robe and they dipped it in goat's blood and they took it back and deceived their father Jacob into thinking that an animal had killed Joseph. And so we pick back up 
in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So this is going on back with Jacob and his brothers. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold by the Midianite traders to Potiphar in Egypt. Potiphar was an official in Pharaoh's court. God was with Joseph and blessed Joseph in Egypt. Now Joseph had made it to the foreign country of Egypt. Potiphar noticed God's blessings on Joseph and Potiphar decided to put Joseph in charge of everything he owned, everything in his house and in his fields. And God blessed Potiphar through Joseph. God was blessing Potiphar and all that he owned through Joseph because of what Joseph was being able to do because of God's blessings through Joseph. And Joseph continued working for Potiphar. Things were going well until we know Miss Potiphar noticed Joseph. She saw Joseph and she came to Joseph and made an advance towards Joseph. In chapter 39, if you continue following me, chapter 39 in verse 7, I love what the scripture says right before verse seven. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. He was a young guy in shape. And after some time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, Miss Potiphar, looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Now, Miss Potiphar was not playing hard to get at all. But Joseph refused. He refused her advances. Miss Potiphar didn't like that, and she lied and accused Joseph of coming on to her and making advances to her that she didn't want. This news got to Potiphar, and as you would well imagine, Potiphar was furious when he heard the news, and he threw Joseph into prison. So Joseph is now in prison. God was with Joseph, and God blessed Joseph in prison. To the point where the prison warden saw God's blessings on Joseph and the prison warden put Joseph in charge of everything in the prison. Joseph was in charge. He took care of all of the prisoners. He was the man in charge. The prison warden didn't concern himself with much because Joseph was in charge. God was blessing Joseph there in the prison. Later, we know Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, got mad at his cupbearer and his baker. And he had them thrown in the prison, the prison where Joseph was now in charge. Joseph was in charge of the cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph took care of them. And the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh had a dream in prison. And they didn't understand the dream. It bothered them greatly. They were discouraged because they had this dream, and it was a very vivid dream, but they didn't understand what it meant. Joseph, ministering to them, noticed and saw their discouragement and said, What's going on? What's happening? And the guy said, well, Joseph, we've had a dream, each of us, and we don't understand what it means, uh, and, and it's bothering us. And Joseph told the cupbearer and the baker, he said, hey, listen, guys, the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Tell me your dreams, and God will give me the interpretation of your dreams for you. So they did that. The cupbearer told Joseph his dream, the baker told Joseph his dream, and then Joseph told the cupbearer, said, your dream is a good one. Your dream means in three days you will be restored to your position as cupbearer. Told the baker, your dream is not a good one. Your dream is a bad one. In three days you will be executed. Pharaoh will have you executed. Joseph told the cupbearer, he said, hey, 
Listen now. He said, when you are returned to your job with Pharaoh in his court right beside him, remember me and mention me because I am innocent. I am innocent here. Joseph's interpretations happened just as he said they would. Three days later, uh, the baker was executed. Three days later, the cupbearer was restored to his position as the cupbearer to uh, Pharaoh, which put him right beside Pharaoh before every meal. He was very close to Pharaoh, and the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. He forgot about Joseph for two years until Pharaoh had a dream that Pharaoh didn't understand that his magicians and wise men couldn't interpret for him. And it was at that moment that the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph. Well, Pharaoh had Joseph to come back uh, before him. And Pharaoh told Joseph his dreams. And Joseph once again told Pharaoh, God is the one who gives interpretations. And sure enough, God interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He had two dreams. He interpreted his dreams for Joseph, and Joseph told Pharaoh the interpretations of the dreams. Joseph told Pharaoh, your true dream, two dreams mean one of the same thing. Said, Pharaoh, there is going to be seven years of abundance, seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. God was warning Pharaoh so Pharaoh could have the time to put a wise man in charge in Egypt of preparing for the famine that was to come in seven years. Pharaoh told Joseph, he said, hey, Joseph, um, you're the wisest guy here. You're the wisest guy in the room. You're wiser than all my magicians and wise men. You understood the dream. You interpreted it for me. So tag your it. You are going to be the one to lead us, Egypt, in preparing for the famine. And that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh then put Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt. He was the second in command in all of Egypt. Pharaoh went so far as to say, everyone must obey Joseph. They must do what he says. And his interpretations of Pharaoh's dreams happened exactly as he said. There were seven years of abundance. In Egypt, a plenty. Joseph used those years to store grain and food for the seven years of famine that was to come. He stored them all over the country of Egypt in warehouses and preparation. And the famine came just as uh, Joseph had said it would, as the Lord interpreted the dream through Joseph. And as the famine came, everyone from all throughout Egypt and all the countries of the world came to Egypt to Joseph for help to buy grain and food during this famine. Because this famine was not just in Egypt, it was worldwide famine. And we pick up in chapter 41, follow me in chapter 41 in verse uh, 57. The whole world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. For the famine was severe all over the earth. Joseph was able to provide food for everyone all over the earth, including his own family members. Pick up in, verse, in chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, so Jacob and his brothers, they understand and realize that they're struggling in Canaan. He said to them, why do you keep looking at each other? 
Listen, he went on, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, the same 10 that sold him to the Midianite traders. Benjamin was the one that Jacob would not allow to go with him in verse four. But Jacob did not send Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, uh, for the famine was in the land of Canaan too. And so we see that Jacob was dealing with this famine at home in Canaan, and he told his sons, hey, go down and get us some food, get us some grain from Egypt so we'll live and not die. And so his brothers made the trip down. Now he held back Benjamin the 12th son of Jacob, Joseph's only younger brother, because Jacob said, and he thought, well, I'm not going to send him because something might happen to him like what happened to Joseph the last time I sent Joseph out from home. So I'm not doing that. And so the brothers made their way to Egypt. When they got to Egypt, they got to the place where they were beginning to buy grain. Joseph recognized them. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And after a series of tests, he tested them to see if they would remember him, if they would recognize him, which they didn't. Those tests only served to freak them out. Amazing tests. And after a period of time, Joseph couldn't take it anymore because he loved his brothers and he got, he cleared everybody out of his quarters in the palace and he revealed and identified himself to his brothers. He showed them who He wasn't told them, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold years and years ago to the Midianite traders. Can you imagine his brothers? They were stunned and scared to find out not only that Joseph was alive, but he was second in command in Egypt. He was second in command. He was the one in charge of the grain that we were supposed to go get. We sold him to the Midianite traders. After reuniting with them, Joseph said, go get my dad. And you guys go back and get all your families and bring everybody back here. Y'all move here to Egypt so you can be with me. I'll take care of you. So Joseph's brothers and their families and Jacob, his father, 70 family members in all, moved to Egypt to be with Joseph. Pharaoh welcomed and blessed Joseph's family because of how blessed Pharaoh was through Joseph. He blessed them, gave them a place to say, food to eat. After a period of time there in Egypt, Jacob, Joseph's father, died. And Joseph and his brothers uh, had decided, they had promised their father that when that time came that they would take their father back and bury him back home in Canaan, the uh, area that would become later we would know as the promised land. And they, they took him back, and that's what they did. Pharaoh allowed them to go, and when they finished with that burial and they made their way back to Egypt, the brothers and Joseph, the brothers got together, and they were a little panicked because they thought to themselves and discussed among themselves, oh, no, now that dad is dead, if Joseph wants to seek revenge against us for what we did to him earlier, now he can repay us. 
because there's not much we can do. And so they were stressing out. They were worrying. And in Genesis chapter 50, we move to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 16. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 16. The brothers sent this message to Joseph. So they sent this message to Joseph before uh, he died. Your father, not our father, notice this, your father gave a command, say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the wrong they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. So they're bowing down before him. We're your slaves. They're basically crying, uncle, we're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph wept when he got their message. Joseph wept as he saw what was going on because he realized at that point that his brothers didn't get it. Joseph had long ago forgiven them. Joseph had joyfully moved them to Egypt, to be with him. And yet they still didn't get it. And now we come to this priceless treasure of truth that Joseph shares with us in chapter 50 in verse 20. Joseph said, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival, the saving of many people. What an amazing response. What a godly response. What an encouraging response by Joseph. I want you to see three points. I want to identify three points about this priceless treasure of truth for us this morning that we can apply in our lives and share with those God places around us. The first truth that we see, the first point is God is in control. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is in control. Joseph said to his brothers, you planned evil against me. You hated me. You wanted to harm me. You wanted to kill me. You sold me to the Midianite traders. But God who is sovereign, but God who is in control, took your evil plans and he used them for good. God is in control. We see several points about this from this passage. God is in control when our family is broken. You see, Joseph came from a broken family. His brothers hated him. His father showed favoritism towards him and his parents didn't believe him fully especially the part of his second dream where they too would bow before him when he would not only rule over his brothers but them as well I didn't fully believe that we know that God is in control when our family is broken God is in control when our circumstances are difficult Joseph was wronged by his brothers by Ms. Potiphar and by the cupbearer Joseph was in a new country, living in a new city, working a new job. Joseph was accused of a crime he didn't commit, and Joseph was thrown in prison for the crime he didn't commit. Joseph lost his family. Joseph lost his job. Joseph lost his freedom. The cupbearer forgot about Joseph for two years while Joseph was in prison. For two years. He stayed in that prison, hoping that the next day would be the day that the cupbearer would remember and say something to Pharaoh, and he'd get the call, and he didn't get the call, and he didn't get the call, and he didn't get the call. But Joseph's circumstances did not stop God's work in him, through him, or around him, amen? Amen. 
Joseph was okay because God is in control. When our family is broken, God is in control. When our circumstances are difficult, we see this all throughout this passage, this story about Joseph. Third, God is in control when we don't understand. God is in control when we don't understand. And we all understand why Jonah was swallowed by the great fish. Jonah understood why Jonah was swallowed by the great fish. Everyone understood why Jonah was swallowed by the great fish. Jonah was running from God. Jonah was living in disobedience to God. Jonah's circumstances caught up with him for his sin and disobedience to God. Joseph was innocent of all the charges that were brought against him. Joseph was only guilty of walking in obedience to God, and yet Joseph was the one serving prison time in Egypt. God is in control in your life and in my life. Joseph was okay because God was in control. God is in control when our families and relationships are broken. God is in control when our families and relationships are in conflict. God is in control when we don't understand what is going on with us. God is in control when our circumstances are difficult. God is in control when we are walking in disobedience to him. God is in control when we are walking in obedience to him. God is in control in your life and in my life, and he always has the last word with us, and his last word with us is always best for us. God is in control. We see this all throughout this passage, this teaching, this episode in Joseph's life. The second point we see that's clear to all of us is God is good in all he does. God is good in all he does. Joseph told his brothers, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Amen. He is good all the time. Say that with me. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. What Satan plans evil against us, God plans good for us. Whatever it is that Satan plans evil against us, God is the one who plans good for us. God is good in all he does in times of abundance. God is good in all he does in times of blessing. God is good in all he does in times of plenty. God is good in all he does in times of victory. God is good in all he does in times of difficulty. God is good in all he does in times of grief. God is good in all he does in times of suffering. God is good in all he does in times of trial. God did what was good for Joseph every step of his way. God did what was good for Joseph's brothers. In their hatred of Joseph, God blessed them through Joseph. God did what was good for Jacob as he reunited Jacob with the son that Jacob thought he had lost. God did what was good for all the countries around Egypt. God did what was good for the people of Egypt. God did what was good for the people of the world at this time through God's work in Joseph's life preparing for the seven years of famine that God had warned Pharaoh and Joseph that was to come. God is good in all he does in your life and in my life. God is good in all he does 
in our lives. God is good when he saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God is good when he convicts us of sin. God is good when he forgives us of sin. God is good when he uses us in his work in others' lives. God is good when he continues his work in our lives and through our lives and around our lives. God is good in our difficulties. God is good in our grief. God is good in our sufferings. God is good in our trials. God is good in all he does in us and through us and around us and for us. We can rejoice with the psalmist who said in Psalm 119 in verse 67 to 68, before I went astray, I was afflicted. Before I went astray, I was, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good, God, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. You are good, God, the psalmist said. You do what is good. Teach me your ways. God is good in all he does in your life and in my life. God's goodness was settled for us when he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to open the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins, to open the way for us to receive the opportunity to enter a relationship with him, which happened by one way and one way only, which was through the perfect life and the perfect death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And God is good with you and with me. Listen, we can know God personally because God is good in all he does. We are here this morning because God is good in all he does. We can understand what God is saying to us this morning because God is good in all he does. We have this word before us this morning because God is good in all he does. We can receive God's gift of salvation this morning because God is good in all he does. We can renew our commitment to Christ Jesus this morning because God is good in all he does. We can see change happen in our relationships this morning because God is good in all he does. We can see change happen in our relationship with God this morning because God is good in all he does. We can turn from disobedience to obedience this morning because God is good in all he does. We can experience the blessings of God this morning because God is good in all he does. We can pray with one another this morning because God is good in all he does. We can pray for one another this morning because God is good in all he does. We can encourage one another this morning because God is good in all he does. We can bless one another this morning because God is good in all that he does. We can encourage and be blessed by one another because God is good in all he does. God is good in your life and in my life, in all he does for us. And we are testimonies. We are trophies this morning of God's goodness and God's grace at work in our lives from the past to the present. And we are testimonies of his grace because we are here this morning proclaiming the message that he is good. He is good in your life and in my life, which leads us to the third point, which is simple. We must trust in God. Why would we ever choose not to trust in God? We must trust in God today. Whatever it is that's going on in our lives, we must trust in God. God was with Joseph every step of his way, and God is with you and me today. 
God is our good, good Father, and we are loved by Him. We can trust in God. We should trust in God. We must trust in God. We can join with the psalmist who said, Oh, Lord God Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed. We are blessed as we trust in the Lord God Almighty. Listen, what Satan plans for evil against us. When Satan plans evil against us, God plans good for us. And God's plans prevail. God's plans always prevail. He is in control and he is good in all he does. And we can trust him today. We can place our trust in him. We can surrender our lives to him. We can renew our faith in him. We can be used by him in one of those lives this morning because God is good to you and God is good to me. Let me ask you to bow in prayer as the worship team comes to lead us in this time of invitation.